Well, good morning and uh, welcome to church. If uh, this is your first time here or you have not met me yet, I know someone greeted my daughters as first-time visitors this morning. Uh, we are your missionaries to Vanuatu and have been for the last 13 years. And uh, we actually are experiencing something that uh, we are used to in Vanuatu, but certainly not in Australia. And that is we were meant to be uh, going back home right after the youth conference, um, but there is flooding all across uh, far north Queensland and we cannot get back home because the rivers are flooded. And uh, no, I'm not going to drive across them, driving a little tiny Honda Odyssey uh, that is probably closer to the ground than when I climb into my truck in Vanuatu. Uh, so um, thank you, Pastor, for giving me the opportunity to be able to share uh, God's word today. We, we found a laundry mat, so we've got sort of clean clothes uh, to be able to preach this morning. It was great uh, being able to come here, and uh, I really enjoyed... Uh, bringing my children to youth camp where I had no, I did not have to do anything. Uh, so I didn't have to cook, I didn't have to make any plans. Um, and uh, as, as, as fun as that was, I enjoyed it, uh, seeing the kids uh, enjoy youth camp and just watching what was taking place. I will say this, for me personally, and I hope you can reciprocate, I would much rather be in the game than watching the game. And uh, so you walk away with a, a little bit of a different uh, concept of youth conference when you have nothing to do with it, uh, then when you're immersed in it and uh, a part of what was going on. So thank you. Thank you as a church for allowing uh, that to take place. And I really pray that, uh, uh, that God will uh, work something out of that and grow that ministry uh, and enable uh, more young people to be able to get together, uh, have some good fun, hear God's word and make life decisions. I want to talk today about something... Um, that uh, we certainly experienced in our lifetime, and that is how to rebuild after a storm. We're in Nehemiah. Uh, we've already read the passage uh, that sort of uh, gets us jumping into it. So if you've got God's word, go ahead and, and uh, find Nehemiah. We're going to be there today uh, looking at the life of Nehemiah and some of the things that we can draw uh, from what it takes to rebuild after some sort of a disaster has come into your life. Now, Vanuatu, I don't know if you, you realize this, as, as beautiful as a country it is, it is ranked as one of the most dangerous countries in the world uh, for natural disasters. So we're the most at-risk country and uh, in the U United Nations World Risk Index uh, because we get cyclones, we get earthquakes, we get tsunamis, uh, we have volcanoes uh, all throughout the different islands. And uh, the distance between the islands to be able to get help when we do have natural disasters is one of the reasons it, it received uh, that ranking. So over the last uh, 13 years, and myself, I grew up there, so I could throw 20 years into the mix of that, um, we've experienced uh, a lot of uh, uh, different things that um, most people would maybe experience once in their lifetime. We've experienced multiple times. Um, I remember in uh, 2015, we got hit by Cyclone Pam, which was the largest cyclone on record at the time to make landfall in the South Pacific. And it uh, completely devastated and, and destroyed a lot, of, uh, a lot of the places in Vanuatu. Uh, one of the things I found comical and, and kind of funny was uh, uh, the newspaper readings the next day after the cyclone. It had something like uh, 120,000 people without power and electricity. Um, now, the newspaper failed to state that prior to the cyclone, there was about 100,000 people without water and electricity, and that actually wasn't part of the disaster. That was Vanuatu, and um, I, I got to uh, rub shoulders with some guys who end up all over the world in some of the biggest natural disasters, and, and they made a statement to me. They said, oh, man, we can't, we can't wait to get out of Vanuatu. 
And I said, why? He said, he said all of our statistics of what we're supposed to do to help people, we can't do it here because they didn't have it before the cyclone. Uh, they weren't eating the right amount of foods. They didn't have the right, uh, the right water or the right facilities, the right buildings. And, uh, and then uh, I think it was things happened in, I think it was Nepal or something like that. And they were more than happy to jump on the plane and go to somewhere that was uh, uh, more closer to the first world. In 2017, uh, we, had a, uh, we have an island that sits off uh, from our island. If uh, you're familiar with, uh, I think they made a book and then they made a movie out of it. It was called The Great uh, the South Pacific. And uh, it was actually, uh, there was a, uh, a military journalist who wrote the book when he was based on our island in Vanuatu, Espiritu Santo. There was 250,000 military troops based on our island. And the island that he was inspired to write, if you're familiar with the story of Bali High, this island that disappears and that's mysterious, is actually the island of Ambai. And it does, weirdly enough, it does disappear. And then, uh, and then on days where it's crystal clear, there's this massive, and it's just a massive uh, island. It looks like a big mountain coming out of the ocean. Surprise, surprise, it's a volcano. And uh, so it started to erupt. I remember sitting down with our kids at night. Uh, we didn't light the fire. We just sat where the fireplace was looking at fireworks that were coming out of the island. We are all like, wow, wow, so exciting. Uh, little did we know that uh, that would mean that 11,000 people would be getting dropped off on our island. And uh, just, just the nature of our island, how small it is, and uh, our ministry impact there, it meant that we were, uh, we were 100% involved in picking up people off the, off the boat. I had to go and talk to uh, other pastors of other churches to see if they'd be willing to let people sleep in their buildings or at least uh, host some of the people because 11,000 people, uh, we did not have space or, or places for people to, uh, to put people. And then we had um, Cyclone Harold uh, two years ago, which was Category 5, which not only hit our island, but it actually hit our house. And uh, we thought our house was fairly secure and fairly strong, um, but we were wrong and the whole roof of our house peeled off and I remember uh, grabbing the kids and we abandoned ship and we ran to another building to hide. And uh, that was a, a, a difficult experience. A lot of the buildings on our church property fell down, some that we had just newly built. Uh, thankfully, our church building uh, didn't fall down, which enabled us to continue running uh, church services, which also um, brought along a lot of new people because their buildings were destroyed. So they uh, attended church with us. And so in the past 13 years, we've experienced a lot of storms. We don't really count Category 3s and 4s. They're just normal. That's like normal day life. Uh, category 5s are the ones that we count. They're the ones that make, uh, uh, make the goal, make the target for us. Um, but uh, but, but what, one of the things in life and in our spiritual life is, is there's, there's plenty of messages about storms, right? And you're gonna, if, if you've been in this church for any length of time, I'm sure Pastor Hernan is going to do his due diligence and he'll preach the messages about storm and going through the storm and making it through the storm and uh, what happens during the storm. But there's not a lot of messages about what to do after the storm. After the event has taken place, uh, after the excitement and everything has sort of dwindled down, and now you're just left with rubble. You're just left with, uh, I love this, if you have a look at uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 10, you know that, uh, that uh, um, when the King James was translated, it was for Australian speaking people. Uh, not Americans, uh, and I have proof and evidence right here. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10, it says, and uh, it says here, uh, have I got the right passage? Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decaying, and there is much rubbish, okay? Not trash, much rubbish, okay? There is much, there is much 
rubbish so that we are not able to build back the walls. When they finally made it uh, to the job that God had put in their hearts and, uh, and they looked at what had to take place and they started to work, they made this statement of it's just rubbish. There's just a pile of rubbish. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to, where, where we start from this, how we go about this. Uh, for us in Vanuatu, we've had multiple storms which are very destructive, but I think fires, um, if, if you've ever seen or maybe you've experienced uh, yourself, maybe you've had a fire burn your house down or, or burn some, some family members' houses down or something, that's the most destructive. There is nothing left. There is nowhere to start. Uh, you look at that and think, how can we rebuild uh, from this? There are, all, of course, different kind of storms come into our life. I've been speaking about physical storms. And now we've, we've, had, uh, uh, we've, we've also had our fair share of, of, uh, of uh, physical, as in um, illness, in our lifetime, in, in our ministry in Vanuatu with uh, malaria and different things like that. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's not uncommon uh, for people to die from diseases all the time uh, in our church in Vanuatu. I've buried most of the people that are 60 and above in the villages. They're already gone. I remember once we went up to the jungle and we were doing some statistical report for the cyclone so we could get food uh, delivered to those people. And uh, the, the, all, the, all the leaders of the village, all the village elders sat me down and I said, we want to talk about COVID. And uh, things were just starting up at that time. And, uh, and uh, they said, oh, we're very concerned. I don't know. And they were talking. And I looked around and I said, it's okay. It only kills people new, normally above sort of 75. And we looked around and said, and there's no one here that age, uh, so you're okay. And then, uh, and then one of them sort of had like an epiphany moment. He's like, there's no one above 75 here. And uh, sort of realizing that, you know, uh, there, there is, life is very difficult in the jungle and uh, life expectancy is not as, as long as it is in other places. So we've had certainly physical storms, and, and maybe you're going through something similar to that uh, right now in your life uh, as, as uh, maybe you've been diagnosed with something or, or, or something has come along that you didn't expect. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a knee that's busted out. And uh, those are physical storms that I think we all experience in our lifetime. Then we have emotional storms, emotional uh, crises that happen Maybe uh, you've been going along and you've been, you've been uh, burning the candle at, at all three ends, not both ends, and uh, you just get to a point where your emotions say, no, we can't do this anymore. And then we also have spiritual crisis. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Though. Those for me are probably the scariest in my ministry is where you start to doubt things, where you start to look at uh, what was once a strong faith, what was once a strong foundation, and you look at it and go, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. I'm not so sure anymore. And, and maybe a spiritual crisis comes into your life. John 16.33 tells us and reminds us that Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulations. You're going to have it. Are you still in the world? Just check. Are you still here? Check the person beside you. You're still here, okay? You haven't gone somewhere else. You haven't gone to lunch already or you haven't gone uh, back to the work that you've got to do later. Okay, so if you're still here, guess what? You're going to have tribulations. Newsflash. There is going to be struggles. There is going to be difficulties. There is going to be hardships. There are things that are going to come into our lives that are unexpected. So how do we respond? What do we do? I think of a, of a storm as, as something, uh, as this statement would be, an unexpected circumstance that invades your life that threatens your very existence. Those times where we don't know if we're going to make it or not. Where once maybe you had a dream 
and those dreams have now turned into nightmares. Uh, you, you thought of starting a, a business venture and, uh, and now things have gone horribly, horribly wrong and uh, maybe you entered into a relationship that you thought was going to bring satisfaction and answer all the problems to your life only to find that it's given you more problems than you ever knew life could offer. Uh, where maybe you had a vision and now there is only darkness. Where maybe once there was something that was built that was strong and that was established and now it's just rubble and rubbish, like the Bible tells us. So what do we do? Well, first of all, um, you have to rebuild. It's not just going to happen by itself. Someone has to start the process of rebuilding. We've just entered into the new year. And uh, have it, has, does anyone do new year, uh, uh, I don't even know what it's called in English, uh, resolutions. That's right. That's a, very, that's a very old English word, right? Okay, New Year's resolutions. Anyone, anyone done some of the New Year's resolutions? Okay, no one wants to admit that they've made some New Year resolutions? Maybe some spiritual, maybe I'm going to read through the Bible. You guys don't, do you guys do that here? I have, okay, good. Oh, ooh, ooh. Okay, so some people. And then, and, then, and then you would say, okay, we're into the New Year. How many would admit, I've already broken my New Year's resolution. You know, I wasn't going to drink Coke or I was going to go to the gym. Uh, I always love, uh, I, I've just started going to the gym. This is a new thing for me in, at this stage in my life. And uh, it was interesting that just after New Year's, I went to the gym and man, it was full. There were so many people. I'd never seen so many people in the gym before. Uh, a week later, there's a lot less people there. So uh, people make resolutions and, uh, and they make these plans and it's good to make plans. It's good to say, we're going to start the building process. It's good to say, we're going to make a comeback. It's good to make plans to begin to move forward. So let's look at Nehemiah and let's grab a few things from the Word of God, I believe, that can really help us. And I don't know where you find yourself in the story of storms, whether you are going into one, whether you are headed to one. Uh, I mean, we're all wearing face masks right now, so we can't, uh, we can't sort of bat, uh, close an eye to that. We're obviously going through something. But here you have this, this person, Nehemiah, who is just, for all intents and purposes, he is just a normal person. Oftentimes, figures in the Bible can come across as, and I used to think this when I read the Bible, they're all pastors, right? Uh, they're all men leading ministries, and you know somehow King David becomes a pastor, and uh, you know Daniel becomes a pastor, and you go through, and and all of these people in your mind they become pastors, and they have their story, but I have my story, and that's good for you guys in ministry, but that doesn't apply to me. I'm not in ministry. I am just a normal person. Okay, I don't think anyone can really say that. No one's really normal uh, when you get down to the bottom of it. Uh, but he is just, for, all for our story's purpose, Nehemiah is just a normal person. He's not a priest. He is not a prophet. And uh, he receives word of what has taken place. He receives word that, that the walls are decimated. The walls are rubble. It's an unwalled city. Now, to us, that doesn't make a lot of sense. We don't have walls around our city. Uh, but we certainly understand the concept of a nation without military power, a nation without sovereignty, a nation without uh, leadership, a nation without security. And here we have this unwalled city. It has no security. It has no order. Um, the walls, the gate of the walls was where, where, where taxes were rendered. It was where uh, political power would sit. Uh, it represents a lot of different things. And when you look at Proverbs 25 to 28, in our physical lives, walls represent a person 
uh, without walls, it tells us in, in Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So walls represent someone that has no restraint, someone that has no control, someone that cannot rule, whether it be the fleshly desires of his life, whether it be um, uh, uh, plans and agendas, whether it be a future, whether it be his relationships. And so we see, we find ourselves in Babylon, well, not in Babylon, because it's been taken over by other powers, and, and it's always great to read the Bible and realize that uh, nations change and are removed and, and are placed in, and, and uh, here's, here's the, little, the little secret, uh, uh, the children of God still remain. And it could it be, I mean, I know you guys, are, a lot of people are freaking out about COVID and vaccines and different things. We're freaking out in Vanuatu about China because we've been watching them build airstrips. Uh, we've been watching them build wharfs. We've been watching them build better and bigger roads all through a nation that doesn't make sense to build roads to thatched roofs and huts where people don't even own a truck, but they're doing that. And, you know, very quickly... In our generation, we could see what we assume that should always be. We could see that removed. And when that is removed and we are shaken, if our foundation is not in something that is sure and eternal, then we will be shaken as well. And we will be removed as well. And so here we have the nation of Israel that has been, that has been taken out from their dwelling as a result of their idolatry, this punishment they've received at the hands of the Babylonian Empire. They're taken into exile. And here we have Nehemiah who hears of what's taken place. He hears of, of, of what has transpired. And let's have a look at what he does. Well, first of all, it tells us in Nehemiah chapter, four, uh, chapter 1, verses 4, and it came to pass when I heard these words, when I heard these words, words are powerful. Words have an effect on our lives. I think oftentimes we, we, don't, uh, we don't heed and think about just how powerful our words are. We look at what someone is wearing. We look at where somebody is working. We look at how much somebody is earning. We look at what somebody is listening to, who the friends he hangs around with. But oftentimes our words have no restraint. Our words are never... We never think and stop and pause and, and think, are these words of a believer? Are these words of a Christian? Are these words that will encourage and build up? Or are these words that will tear down? I remember uh, just, just this week, sorry girls, you, you, know, you know when you tell dad stuff, it's going to go into an illustration, right? Um, I think one of my favorite cups, I, I don't have one yet, but it's a, it's a pastor's cup and it says, be careful what you say. It could be my next illustration <laughs> when you enter into the pastor's office, right? No, no hopefully we don't do that. But, uh, but uh, my daughter said, oh, some of the girls were bullying us at camp. Now, don't come to me later on and say, who were those girls? I want their names. No, no, it's, it's a camp. It happens, right? Um, uh, maybe we were the bullies. I don't know, but uh, I hope we weren't. But uh, I, said, I said, oh, now I'm thinking bullies. Like I'm thinking like my generation, like smack you in the face, you know, do something nasty to you, you know. Uh, but then they said, oh, they, they said unkind things. And I'm thinking, oh, it's not really bullying. Um, but, but it is. It is. There are, there are words that we can say that will tear somebody else down. There are words that we can, we can say that will strengthen and build people up. And so he hears this word, comes to him, and tells us, then I sat down and wept 
and mourn certain days. I, I remember I, I grew up in a home where boys don't cry, right? That was kind of the kind of the, you know, suck it up, you know, stiff upper lip, and that was good. That that had some some good sides to it. Uh, but I wish that my father had taught me that it's okay to cry when it comes to the things of God. It's okay to cry and, and, and allow God to break our hearts when it comes to the things that surround us. And it tells us that he sat down, he wept, and he mourned certain days. He allowed, he allowed himself to, to feel the pain that was taking place as he received. And it tells us he fasted. And then the next thing it tells us he prayed before the God of heaven. When we get into a time of storm, first thing we ought to do is assess the damage. Assess the damage. Oftentimes, we, we run headlong to fix it, right? And uh, it, it, depending on who you are, I'm one of those people that's like trying to give a solution. Um, and, uh, and oftentimes, uh, uh, men, this will be a bit of a tip for you. Uh, when your wife is complaining about something, she's not asking for solutions. And I get this wrong a lot of times. Uh, she's like, so-and-so said so-and-so. And I'd say, well, you should have said this back. And you should have done this. And you should have done this. And uh, really, uh, at the end of the conversation, she, she just says, she says, I wish you'd just hug me. And I'm like, oh, I got it wrong again. You know, I'm trying to solve the problems. And uh, that's what we do. We, oftentimes, we, we try and solve the problem or we try and pretend like there is no problem. Uh, recently, we were at a, a funeral uh, at, at our church there, and uh, it was an old lady who had passed on to glory and, and uh, you know, just an incredible life and testimony of faithfulness and ser service to the Lord. And uh, someone made this statement. They said, when I die, I want it to be a celebration. And um, as I, I, I get it, I understand the, the, the psychology, the thinking, uh, you know, you're dead and you've gone on to glory. And I said, when you drop me off at the airport, how do you think I would feel if you were celebrating that I'm leaving? And uh, we just sort of had that moment because in Vanuatu we, we do mourning and it's, it's become part of, part of our culture where, where you actually cry with the family and you allow time to weep for what ought to be wept for. There are times where it's okay to be sad. There are times where it is okay to stop for a moment and allow yourself to feel the pain of what has transpired and what has taken place. So you stop. Don't rush. Then he does the next thing that we ought to do. He took time to pray. He prayed. He started to pray before he made his plan. Oftentimes we make a plan and then we pray. <laughs> or we make a plan, the plan doesn't so, go so good, so then we pray for help for the plan that didn't go so good. No, he, he prayed first of all. He, he went to the Lord. He sought the Lord. And then he started to make plans. Nehemiah mourned the loss of a city that he had never seen. He, he was broken for something that he didn't even really know of, but he had just received word of. And oftentimes, through God's word, he will break us for things that maybe we don't even understand. Why, why am I crying about this? I've never even been there. I don't know that country. I don't know those people. I don't know that situation. God places burdens on our hearts that sometimes we cannot explain. Isaiah chapter 57, verses 15, it says, For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy places. And look at this, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Some of the moments that I've felt the closest to God have been some of the most difficult moments in my spiritual life. 
I remember uh, John Patton, a great missionary who, who served in Vanuatu, uh, one of the first missionaries there, there was a night where he, he climbed up into a tree because people were, were, were hunting him down to kill him. And he climbed up into this tree waiting for someone to find him. And uh, he knew that he would probably most likely die that night. And, and he, he wrote down in his memoirs that he looked up into heaven and all he could see was the stars and, and just the wonder of how great God is. And he said in that moment, he felt closer to God, more closer than he ever felt before. And as the sun rose the next morning and he knew that he'd be stepping back down onto earth and, and that the plan to kill him had failed and that he would have to continue moving on with ministry, he said he didn't want to leave the tree. He wanted to stay in that moment, in that moment where he felt closer to God than he'd ever felt before. But he knew, I've got to get back down from the tree and I've got to walk again and I've got to resume ministry. I've got to continue doing what God has placed me here for. And I don't know if, if, if I'm speaking to anyone, but, but uh, there are moments in our lives where, where the pain, as painful as it is, and the heartbreak, as difficult as it is, actually opens up a new, a new walk with God. It opens up something and, and, uh, and we feel like there is a closeness with God. And, and sometimes you say, I just want to stay here. I want to stay in this place. You can't. You can't. You've got to get back down from the tree. You've got to resume life. And so he stays in that moment. He takes that moment to walk with God. And then it tells us, then he started to make a plan. He tells us he, he, he had this Nehemiah's prayer. We see from five all the way down to 11. And then he resumes his, his work at the workplace and he waits for God to open up a door. I love it. I love it. Nehemiah just doesn't go running to the king and says, oh, I got a plan. I got to do this. I got to do this. He waits for God to open up a door. He takes the time. He knows what's in his heart. And, and uh, I've, I've sometimes been at fault in this area of my life because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an audible thinker, if you haven't figured that out already. Some people think in their minds. Uh, my mind is like Star Wars. There's, there's just space, okay? Maybe a few spaceships flying by. Uh, there's no thinking going on in there. So if I'm quiet, it's like I've gone into screensaver mode. Uh, my wife will be like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, nothing. And then she thinks I'm hiding something. No, I really wasn't thinking. I'm, when I'm speaking, that's when I'm thinking. Uh, but, but sometimes as an audible person, we have to be careful that we don't, we don't, we're not audible of the things that God is doing in our hearts that, that he hasn't opened up the doors for yet. Sometimes you'll go to your pastor and say, Pastor, what are you thinking? What's the plan for next year? What, what are we doing? And maybe he'll say something like, I'm still praying about it. Now, your response should not be, Pastor doesn't know what he's doing. We don't know what we're doing next year. I went and asked him. He said he's still praying. It's like, it's like it's, it, the plan. Like, we need the plan. And, and that, that response of I'm praying is, 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 I know what God's doing in here, but I haven't seen God open up those doors yet. So I'm waiting. I'm taking that time. And it tells us that he, he waited. And then, and then when, uh, the, when the king saw and, and released him to go to where he went, when he made it to his destination, it tells us in chapter 2, verses 12, that he spent time at night surveying. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days and rose in the night. I and some few men with me, not a large group, just a few, some, some trusted men, some people that he knew. Neither I told any man that my God hath put in my heart to do Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. I went up by night by the gate, and he surveyed the land. He took time to assess the damage that had taken place. We ought to take time and say, why did that happen? Why did that take place? Why didn't that work out? Why, why did that building fall over? And that's 
what we do after a storm in Vanuatu. We, we walk around and we look. We look, okay, that tree's fallen down there. We're going to have to come in. Okay, that building over there and, and this over here. And, and, and oftentimes you learn from that. You learn from, okay, it turns out that tree that everyone told me, yeah, that's a great tree. It's a super strong tree. You can mill that tree. We'll be able to build buildings with that tree. And then when it falls over, they all say, oh, yeah, that tree, you shouldn't put posts in the ground because it rots when water gets on it. And you're like, okay, good. We have now learned a valuable lesson. We will never use a tree like that again. So you, you, you learn, and hopefully you learn, because if you don't learn, it's going to happen again, right? Right? Oh, this relationship failed, and then this relationship failed, and this relationship failed. Pastor, I think, I think God is telling me I shouldn't get married. Or maybe God is telling you, there are some things in your life that you need to address. Maybe God is telling you that there are, there are some things that you need to learn. There are some things that, that you need to adjust in order to move forward. He surveyed the damage. He looked at what had taken place. He didn't tell people. I, I love this statement from the founder of World Vision. He said, what is, bro- what is broken in your world that breaks your heart? What, what is it? What is broken in your world that breaks your heart? your heart. So he assessed the damage. Then he prioritized what is most important. That's what we do in Vanuatu. We assess the damage. Then we make priorities. Okay, what's most important? Well, uh, rebuilding houses is not the most important thing. Putting tarps back on roofs, not the most important thing. The most important thing is going to be food. We got plenty of water. It was a storm. There was a lot of rain. We'll be okay with that. But, but food is going to become an issue very quickly on an island that lives in subsistent living uh, crops, the crops get, get whacked by the wind and then they rot. So you're not going to have any more food anymore. It's going to take three to six months to plant more food to eat. So, so that becomes the first priority. The first priority in our lives, I hope, I hope it's prayer. I hope it's our relationship with God. The people that God has, has put around us. Some people spend a whole lot of time on things that are not necessary. Things that are not necessary. But, but for us in Vanuatu, or the next thing after water, it was hospital. Because if while we're rebuilding houses, someone falls off a house, we're going to need the hospital. So that becomes a priority uh, where, we can, where we can keep our, our life. Our life becomes priority. Are people still alive? Then you open up the airports so that you can get more supplies in and then you clear the roads. And actually, um, after we had uh, that particular disaster that removed our house, honestly, we didn't touch my house for close to two months. We didn't start putting on iron roofing back on our house. Well, why? Don't, don't you need somewhere to sleep? Well, yeah, we had somewhere to sleep. That's all we had. It was just a, it was one room, and there were beds all over, and we, we all slept in the same room. And you, as soon as you woke up, you, you went out of your house, and you went down to the house without the roof, and you switched on the kettle steel, and you know, you, it was open plan living. It was great. It was a good experience. But why, why, aren't you, why aren't you concentrating on that, Jeremy? Why, why don't you put your house back together? Well, that's not necessary right now. That's not important. It's important, but it's not necessary for life. You know, when you go through storms, I hope, I hope this verse resonates, and it's resonated in my life numerous times. People, people have come along to me, and, and at times they've said, man, you're just an encouragement. I can't believe you're still serving the Lord. And uh, I, I, I kind of this verse is what resonates in my mind. John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. When people say, man, I, I can't believe you're still serving the Lord. I'm like, if you know something else that is just as good 
um, that's going to give me just as much peace and joy and, and, and satisfaction and purpose, let me know right now. I'm ready to follow. If it involves sin and walking away from God, I've already been there before. I know it doesn't work. And guess what? This storm is happening because someone chose that path. Hello? Oh, I can't believe you. Oh, did you see what he did? Oh, I'm walking away from God now. Oh, so because of what he did, I'm going to walk away from God as well because what he did was walking away from God, which caused me my pain, which caused everything that's transpired. I'm going to fo- it doesn't make sense, right? But the lies of the devil, they do make sense at the time. They sound right, but they are not. You alone have the words of life. Have you experienced the words of life that God promises to us? Oftentimes, some people will sacrifice truth on the altar of convenience. I'll say that again. Oftentimes, people will sacrifice truth on the altar of convenience. Oftentimes, I've seen a lot of people, and you'll experience this as a church, that they'll give up doctrine for preferences. Well, I don't like this church anymore. Why? Pastor wears a blue tie. Okay. So where are you going to go? Well, you to churches around here. Yes, but... But I know, I know that you love doctrine and that you love the Lord and you love the word. And I know that you're going to have to make much bigger compromises in the church that doesn't wear blue ties on the things that matter and the things that are important. And so we need to make sure, we need to make sure that our priorities in our lives are in order. Here's the thing. If it can be taken away, it is not, should not be one of your priorities. What do I mean by that? John 10.10, 10, right? We know this verse. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So, if a thief can steal it, it's not permanent. God has probably blessed you with it, but it is not the life that more abundant that God promises. We think life more abundant, jet ski. We think life more abundant, another house. We think life more abundant, traveling. We think life more abundant. And God says, no, no, I want to give you life more abundant beyond what is on this earthly world. Things that are eternal, things that cannot be taken away. You can make me wear a mask. You can make me get some jab or whatever. I mean, look, at the end of the day when we get sick and the doctor says, oh, we've got this weird, new, 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 cutting edge, not really researched yet, only 20% people survive, but you are going to die. The, re- the reality, guys, sorry, little, little, little honesty check. Most of us go and do it. I'll take it. Where'd it come from? I don't know. <laughs> but but uh, it's going to keep me alive a little bit longer. That's just temporary. Your physical body, the Bible says, is a tent. It's a tent. It is only here for a short time. Don't make things that are temporary your priority. Because they can be removed. You know, it's awesome having the Word of God at our fingertips, right? It's fantastic that, that you can take this or this, and there's a lot of problems with this, but, but uh, let's just dwell on the good things. Uh, this can come with you everywhere, right? You wake up, it's usually the first thing you check. It can go to the bathroom with you. It can go anywhere with you. This is a little bit more difficult, a little, little, little weird if you come out of the bathroom um, uh, with your Bible. I, I, I don't know, but... I don't want to judge you, but but did you know that this 
There are, there are Christians throughout history that didn't even have access to this. Well, how can you be a Christian? Well, because it's the word, God's word, that enables me to continue moving forward. And, and they would cherish whatever little bit of scripture they could get. So let's not pretend that the liberties that are being removed, somehow that makes less, us less of a Christians, right? Because if it can be taken away, it ought not to be one of our priorities. Don't make your priorities things that are temporal. Prioritize what is most important. What is most important, what, what God puts upon your heart. And then don't wait for help to come. We've had to learn this numerous times in Vanuatu. And uh, it's probably one of the most reasons why we are so resilient to natural disasters. We don't wait for someone to come along and help us. You realize that, that okay, well, I'm going to have to cut this tree down. Uh, I'm going to have to clear this, this uh, pathway. Uh, if we don't do it, most likely somebody else isn't. 2 Timothy 1.17, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That ought to be, we ought to be people of power. We ought to be people of love. We ought to be people of sound mind. And not be ruled by fear. Fear should not be our friends during this time that, that's taken place around the world. But power, love, sound mind under control. Nehemiah didn't look to send another. It, was e it would be easy for Nehemiah to say, I am a man of great vision. Send somebody else. Where's, uh, where's those three guys? What was their names, those guys' names again who didn't bow? Send them. They'll go rebuild the wall. I've got this position. I've got this, this thing that God has given me. Surely I cannot leave from here. But Nehemiah understood something, and that is the burden. And, and I love it because burdens in the Bible conjure up, when you conjure up burden, you don't think of something good, right? You think of burden, heavy, difficult, a struggle. But, but, but burdens, when in the hand of God, I have found can become the greatest blessings. That thing that God puts on your heart, that thing that you can't delete out of your mind, that you're constantly rehashing, oftentimes, if you turn around and give that to God, your burden will become someone's greatest blessing. You can get consumed by your burden. Oh, this church doesn't have this. Well, why doesn't this church have this? Pastor, why don't we have this ministry? Pastor, well, and, and, and we can be so consumed. And by the way, he hasn't talked to me about anything like that. He hasn't cued me up on coming up here. But, but you've got this thing on your mind and you just nobody else thinks the way you do. And oftentimes that burden in the hands of God can be the greatest blessing, can be used in an incredible way in people's lives. I think of Pastor Fisher, oftentimes when he is preaching to us and it becomes such a blessing to our lives, it's from the place of his greatest burdens. Tell, oh, I want to be like Pastor Fisher. I've never said those words. <laughs> I want to be like Pastor Shemish. No, thank you. I'm okay. I'm okay being casual and, and being able to sleep at night and, and uh, not having things that wear me down and constantly thinking over. But your burden can become your greatest blessing. That thing that God puts on your heart and he put it on Nehemiah's heart and the burden that got put on Nehemiah's heart, Nehemiah understood that that was his burden to carry. It was his burden to carry. And so he understood that he was the person for that job. He was the person that God was going to use. I think about in, in relation to missions, 
God puts something on your heart, God puts something on your mind, and when you hand it over to God, for me, for my life, it's, it's become my greatest blessing. But had I chosen to just carry that burden and to not respond to that burden, to just see that burden as, as something that is just a turmoil and just a difficulty in my life, I can guarantee you I would be in a completely different place right now. And I would probably have a burden of regret. I would have a burden that would say, man, if, if, if only you had followed God. If only you had, you, had, you had followed that leading that he had put on your heart. So be the help. Oftentimes, we will be the person that God will use to be able to rectify that situation, to be able to change those things. Don't give up on what matters most. Don't give up on what matters. I got, we got to this village up in the bush, and we'll, we'll finish very, very soon with this. And, and uh, we got up there, and he said, the church had flown off. We were actually about to do a new opening for the building, and, and that usually takes six months. They've got to plant crops ahead of time before we do the big ceremony to open up the church, and they pick a cow and carry it six hours up into, well, not carry it, but you know, walk it through a really scary path to get up into the jungle so that we have meat. So everything had been prepared. Cyclone came, shoo, no more building and no more houses. And I got up there, and the chief said, he said, we will not rebuild anymore. We build, God take away, we not rebuild anymore. I said, okay. Well, in that case, keep living in a cave. Because they were living in a cave, because all their houses got destroyed and they fled to a cave. And I said, in that case, don't rebuild anything. Oh, no, no, I will build my house. Okay, well, the reasons to stand that we should, we should rebuild God's house as well. Oftentimes, disasters come upon our lives and we give up. We give up. You know, it would have been easy to get discouraged. I mean, the work, when it tells us there was much rose, the people were discouraged. It's difficult. It's hard to, to be there to rebuild. Everyone else has left. Why hasn't anybody else got a burden for this? Why doesn't anybody else care about this? Well, could God's put it on your heart? And because God wants to use you to answer that? Don't get discouraged. There's an illustration and it talks about Satan having a garage sale and, and he's got all the, all the wares and all the tools that he, he used to, to make people fall. And, and uh, on the $2 table, there was hatred and lust and deceit and envy and pride. And, and um, then under a, a sheet, there was a $100 item. The person approached and said, what's under that? What's under that sheet? He said, oh, this is, this is one of my greatest tools. So this has taken down people like Jonah, Elijah, Sarah, David, and it continues to take people down unaware. So what is it? And removed the sheet and had discouragement. Discouragement is, is, is one of those things that's it's difficult because what they had ahead of them was a big job. You read through, as you read through the story in chapter 4, verses 10 and 19 to 20, it was a big job that they had to rebuild. Easy to get discouraged. Discouraged, why? Because of the work. Discouraged, why? Because of the ridicule. It tells us that people were opposed to seeing the walls rebuilt. And oftentimes, you'll be ridiculed for your faith. Good news is you're in good company. You're in good company. Ridiculed for your faith, okay? Faith, not preferences, for your faith. For your faith in what is true in the Word of God. And oftentimes, you'll get attacked. I remember we went to a place, we we're going to sawmill this tree in this old widow's house, and uh, the landowner came out because it was his tree, even though it was in an old widow's house, and he, he chased us with, with some axes and machetes, and, 
the funniest part about that story is we had chainsaws. If you know anything about chainsaw versus axe, I can help, you know, you, you can guess which one wins. But we, we walked away and we, 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 we moved ourselves from that situation. But you, you'll get attacked. I remember the government stopping us from giving food to people because those people hadn't been numbered in the statistic. And uh, we were going to give food that they weren't able to supply to those people because they went and bought new trucks and did other things with the finances. And they actually told us, they said, when you give out the food, you have to say it's from the government. We said, it's not. It's from churches. <laughs> we won't be able to do that. And they tried stopping us to give food to people. Oftentimes, there will things come into your life that will attack you when you are doing something good. Then what do we do? What do we do lastly? We build back better and stronger. Better and stronger. Obviously, these walls were not bigger, but it was better. Why? Because the people that were coming back to Jerusalem were people that had learned that idols are not the solution. People that learned that God needs to be their strength and they need to be guided by God. And, and oftentimes, it might be smaller, it might be lesser, but in God's kingdom, a lot of times that is more. A lot of times that is more. We love renovation shows, don't we? Now, I can't, I've switched on the TV. There's still renovation shows going now. Like, how many times can you see a kitchen get rebuilt? I don't know. I don't know, but we love those shows. We love to see things, whether it's a truck or it's a, or it's a, or it's a, a house or it's a person. There, there is all sorts of rehab, rehabilitation, you know, all these things. We love to see something change that was decimated into something that becomes better. God is definitely in the work of renovation. He will take something that is destroyed. He'll take something that is decimated. And uh, there's a whole other message there talking about how people had nostalgia about the past and how it wasn't the same and it was different. And oftentimes we forget the bad stuff. We forget the idols. We forget the evil kings. We forget all the other things that were taking place during that time. And we, we only remember the good. But he can take a hopeless situation he can bring miracles out of mud. He can take the deepest, hardest pains and he can bring some of the greatest joys. God oftentimes can turn our, our misery into ministry. I've met many people who, as a result of, of some difficulties in life, as a result of some opposition, it turned what was a misery into their greatest ministry as they allowed God to use that. But we need to let God build us back better and stronger. And he uses those thorns. He uses those things that come into our lives to, to, to wake us up, to, 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 to make us realize that there is some walls to be rebuilt. There are some things that need to be fixed. And lastly, and you're supposed to finish on a good note, right? But I think this is a good note, but, but someone told me as I was going through these notes, they're like, what are you going to finish on that for? <laughs> More storms will come. They're building walls. Why are you building walls? Because we're going to get attacked. We're building walls. Why are you building walls? For safety, for protection, for defense, so that we can be stronger. There is going to be more storms coming. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. They had to deal with opposition. People don't want to see things go well, right? There are some people outside these doors, that do not want to see you 
straighten up some things in your life. That's the truth. There are some people that will make this statement, oh, I don't like that forgive and forget business. Well, you're going to struggle when you meet God because <laughs> um, he's kind of in that business. There are some people that would hate to hear that this church is still going. There are some people that will hate to hear that, that this church's greatest days are ahead of it, not behind it. There are some people that will hate to hear that you, you got your life right and God started blessing you. And God started doing some of the most incredible things now and in the future, not in the past. They had to deal with opposition. People don't want to see things go well. You watch TV, some, some, of, the, some of the coolest things are things going bad, right? You know, I don't know, what is, what is wrong with us? We like, we like to see a building blowing down, falling apart. No one goes and sits and watches it getting built. I mean, maybe some, some of you, you're wired that way. I just like seeing buildings get built, seeing the bricks getting laid. No, but if it's getting destroyed, oh, yeah, oh, did, you see, did you hear about so-and-so's life? What? He did what? That guy used to be a pastor. That guy was a youth. She sang in the choir. Tell me more, tell me more. That's the flesh, guys. That is not of God. We ought to be broken when we hear of walls that have fallen, when we hear of fires that have been burnt and that have raged. Some people want to see it burn. They don't want to see things turn around. And we think we'll be met with compliments and confirmation, but oftentimes we're met with complaints and confrontation. That's the reality. I'm going to start this great work. I think people are going to be behind it. They're going to be excited. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, and this was me when I started furlough 13 years ago with my family. And, and I thought, man, this is going to be exciting. People are going to, you know, I'm going to go to mission field. And can I tell you the amount of pastors that said, we already got a missionary in Vanuatu. Man, I'm glad I didn't stop at that. Oh. Well, your dad's, well, are you sure you're really called of God? I mean, your dad's over there. Makes sense that you would go over there. You're pretty young. You're pretty young. You've got a young family. Opposition will come when you think that it ought to be compliments. What are you thinking about the youth camp? Well, there wasn't a lot of youth here, was it? Picked a pretty good time to do a youth camp. Now we've got a COVID outbreak coming on youth camp. You know, whatever. Whatever comes along. And the wise man knows that, that when the winds of opposition begin to blow, you open up the sails. You open up the sails. And you say, we're going to let those oppositions and those voices of confrontation, we're going to let that blow us in the direction that God is leading us. Unless the Lord builds a house, they that build the house build it in vain. More things are going to come ahead, and that's why we need to rebuild. That's why we need to get back to those walls that have fallen down. We need to ask ourselves questions, why did they fall down? We need to make some adjustments, and we need to build it back bigger and better. I'm glad Nehemiah focused on what God put on his heart. 
His job was not to create political stability. His job was not to secure peace for Israel. He didn't come off the walls and try and, uh, and get everybody to kumbaya around the campfire. I mean, they were going to kill him at the campfire anyway, so glad he didn't do that. But he did what God had put in his heart to do. He surrounded himself with people, had the vision to see what God would do. And then he made adjustments along the way to accomplish what God had said in his heart to do. 52 days. 52 days. He got those walls back up. Now, we don't know. Did he go back? Did he go back to his job as a cupbearer the rest of his life? We don't know. We don't know what God did from there, but we know how God used him and what God did in his life. We're here today, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know you all. I don't know everybody that's here, especially with the face mask, it makes it even harder. <laughs> Had someone at the shopping center, they went, <gasps> and then as they got closer to me, they were like, no, I don't know you. That was weird. That was awkward. <laughs> and then, because I'm a missionary, I pretend like I know everyone when they recognize me, so that made it worse, because then they thought I knew them, but anyway. <laughs> you, you might be here today, and you look at your life, and you know there's, there's a bunch of piles of rubbish, right? We're not all perfect. And when we stand before a perfect God, if we stand alone, we will be judged and we will stand guilty. Here's the bad news. You can't do anything about it. You can't clean up the mess that has already taken place. But the good news is you don't have to. He already did. Christ already did. He hung on the cross. He paid for our sins. And he is calling for restoration today. Today, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to restore your life. He wants to make you right before God. None of us stand here today with, with perfect lives. I mean, we might have perfect lies to cover up our imperfections. But, but we know we don't stand here with perfect lies or we wouldn't need the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember I was, I was uh, um, clearing out some things up there at Lighthouse and we were just clearing out some boxes and different things. And I was, I was working with a, a new believer. He'd only been saved about six months, recently got baptized. And he's one of the groundskeeper. The, the most spiritually less mature, I don't want to say immature, but less mature. And he made this statement about just things that were going around and, you know, people are at each other's throats and people are getting upset because I'm moving boxes and throwing them in the bin. I have no nostalgia, so I'm like, you know, this doesn't mean anything to me. And, oh, no, that box has been there for 25 years. And uh, all these things are taking place. And he made this statement. He says, he says man, we, we need Jesus every day. I thought... It's, it was very simple, but I walked away thinking, here is a new believer who we would look at and say, he's a new believer. He needs Jesus. Looking at old believers who've been in the church for 25, 30 years at each other's throat because a box has been moved and some cardboard boxes and some books have been moved, saying, we just need Jesus every day. We need Jesus every day. And I thought, that is, that is the key. You might bring someone to church and say, Pastor, preach that salvation message. I brought my friend today. He needs Jesus. Amen. And if Pastor could shake you, he would say, you need Jesus. Just as much as your friend does. We all need to get back to what is a priority. And that is the words of life that only he can provide and only he can give. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time to be able to share your word this morning, dear Lord. I was not planning on being here, 
I had no intentions of being in Brisbane, let alone preaching here this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I thank you that I had these thoughts and this message prepared with me as I traveled. And dear Lord, I really believe that this is for someone here this morning. Maybe someone has come here broken. Maybe someone has come here with a life just full of rubble, dreams that are full of rubble. And dear Lord, this message from Nehemiah, from your word, dear Lord, I pray that it would speak to his heart and say that you are in the business of restoration. And that all he needs to do is come to you and to confess and to ask for your forgiveness, dear Lord, and you will restore his life anew. And dear Lord, I can't build there. They have no intentions on rebuilding. They have no intentions on making things right. Dear Lord, I pray that you will turn their burden into a blessing. I pray that you will work upon our hearts and work upon our lives. I pray that we might realize that we are people that need you, Jesus, every day. Every day in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.